And if you were under kindergarten, you were allowed to go with Susan. If not, then you get to enjoy my preaching. You're going to be really happy you stayed because it's going to be great today. Man's going to get his head cut off. Jesus is going to be re- uh, rejected in his hometown and other good things that we're going to read about today. So you don't want to miss that. It'd be exciting. All right, so we're in the book of Matthews. Uh, Matthews. <laughs> we're in the book of Simon. There. We're in the gospel according to Matthew. And so I just, I even just titled it today, Reject It. And we'll read what happens here first. So Jesus, he has just been teaching in parables to all the people. Then he has been teaching and explaining some of the parables to uh, to his disciples. And, uh, and then we come into the story here. Because it's going to say, as he finished. When Jesus has finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are then and are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and in his home t- and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. She might ask, prompted by her mom, mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry because of his oath and his guest he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on the platter and was given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and buried it and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there into a boat to a desolate place by himself. Amen. I've been thinking a little bit about it as we're going through uh, Matthew. (laughs) Some of these things happen like in not that long of a time. 
and talk about sometimes you think you have a hard day at work. <laughs> think about this day for Jesus. It's nothing but people could misunderstanding, complaining him, rejecting him. And then he gets news that his, his relative John has been been killed. But the first thing we experience is that um, Jesus goes away from where he was before. And so earlier on in in, um, in Matthew, we, Matthew, you know that Jesus and his family they settled <coughs> they settled, settled in Nazareth. But when he after he gets baptized by John, they get this week gets his head cut off. Um, he goes and lives in Capernaum. So Jesus hasn't been living there for a while, but he comes back today, and we see Jesus do the thing that he normally does. He goes into the synagogue and he teaches. And the text says clearly there in the that the people are astonished. Like where how can he speak this way? Like how where did he get all this teaching? But as we read the astonishment is not a good kind of astonishment where they go like, Yes, you are the Lord, you are the prophet. No, it was an astonishment of we know this guy. We know his mom. We know his brothers. They named them. This man, he can't. This, this can't be true. We don't know where he bought or got all this wisdom. But it can't be it can't be that he is a prophet. So they are astonished as his, as uh, as the wisdom and his knowledge, but but instead they take offense at Jesus. And if you remember what when uh, when uh, John was uh, put in prison earlier, John sent to Jesus and asked, "Are you really the one?" And Jesus tells the people to say what's going on. And he's healing the sick, and and uh, people are getting the good news. But then he ends and says, "But don't take, um, don't don't take offense at me." It's kind of saying that John, you're actually not coming out of prison. So here we see these people that take offense at Jesus instead of listening. And it's a uh, and he Jesus then quotes this proverb or it became a prophet after Jesus um, started saying it that a prophet is with is not without honor except in his hometown and his own household. So Jesus is saying, "You guys, you think you know who I am because I grew up here." but you actually have no idea. But you're astonished at how, how, you're astonished at my teaching, but you're not really listening, and you don't want to. But then by saying this, Jesus is also saying that he's a prophet. Now, it's easy to, to look back on these people and be like, oh man, they should have known, like, how like they should have known that they must have seen it he lived there many years you know I mean Jesus is perfect they must have seen it 
Well, that's another thing. If Jesus' first 30 years has, has, was walking around doing miracles when he was in school and all sorts of other things, uh, telling people what they were thinking, then maybe they would have known. But we see the extreme humility of Jesus, that he lives a long life where he's just a normal person. He doesn't exalt himself over people in town. Most of them don't even expect him to be anything but the son of a carpenter. So they're definitely not looking for him to be the Messiah as Matthew is trying to, as he said in the beginning, this is a story of Jesus Christ. The people of Nazareth of where one of the disciples quoted something, can something really good come out of Nazareth? Well, the people at least don't believe that Jesus could have or be who he says he is. They don't want to listen to what he has to say because they were so familiar with him, maybe. So I think that's one of the questions for us. It's easy to say like, oh, why didn't they just get it? And But I mean, they they lived with him for 25 years, some of them. They haven't seen him do anything, anything different. Maybe they hear rumors from the different places of what he's been doing. But in this, in this case, fam- familiarity actually causes resentment. But what about you? What about me? What happens to us when, when or if our hearts kind of get hardened to the gospel? Some of you have walked with Jesus for a long time. The question would be to us, are we sometimes not in awe of who Jesus is? Because it's become something familiar with for us. We've walked this for 30 years, 10 years. It's not as hot and burning as it once was. It's, oh yeah, Jesus died for me. Can the familiarity with the stories when we read the Bible, can be, oh yeah, it's like Jesus, he walks on water, he heals people. Can it cause kind of a, like a resentment? Or how do you view people you grew up with? Like I have to check my own heart. Like <laughs> I can't just be like this is everybody else. But you grow up with people that are younger than you. And it's difficult sometimes maybe to see okay they get success, they get they get uh, good jobs, they different things, but in your mind you're just like they're still small and insignificant. Is that some of the things that brings out lack of um, of even wanting to listen to people because we know people but maybe they've grown. Maybe God changed them. Maybe they're, they have different gifts and abilities that's very valuable for us and for the Lord. Can that happen to us? I think it can. We can pretend to be so familiar with the scriptures and with Jesus that hey, I, get, I know who got us. Yeah, yeah, God is great, but I have real problems. <laughs> or like, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus saved me, but 
I gotta get things done today. Doesn't that show in our hearts that we're not really valuing who God is? That maybe we've, we've lost some of the awe of who God is because we're thinking, yeah, it's fine with God, but I need to, now it's my work, now it's this, now it's this, I, this is what I need to get done. So the question is like, what do we do when we find ourselves in those places? But, w- but what is the difference? Well, the difference would be then to go into it and be like, no, no, Lord, I, you are so big and so awesome, God, that I can always know more about who you are. Other things we try to do in the services, we want to hear more about what God's doing. That's why we hear in the testimonies. So that we continue to be in awe of what God does. Because like, is it dull? Is it really dull that people get saved? No. We always rejoice. We're like so happy when it happens. But what if we don't see it for a while? Do we stop believing that it happens? So the antidote of being familiar is to actually get to know a lot more who God is. To spend more time with God, to hear more about it, to, to seek more of who he is. Do the things you know are good for you to get so closer to God. For some people, it's, it's sitting and praying alone, it's reading the scriptures, it's worshiping in song so that we might fan in the flame the things of God. Now it's interesting because uh, and maybe that that's how Matthew put it up because Jesus is like he's say he's like a Jesus is saying he's a prophet he gets rejected then we see the other prophet he gets rejected and killed um and so that's sometimes what can happens to the um what do you call it well that's what often happened to the prophets that's also what happened to John um, but they just didn't have room in their hearts for Jesus it's like we've seen him we've seen his brothers and his sisters we know his mother we know he's the carpenter's son there was no room and then the what happens sometimes it says in the text and he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief We've talked about belief and unbelief through the series. And so in this case, it's not like Jesus can't do it, but it's like it wasn't changing anything. The people did not want to believe. So then he doesn't do many miracles or signs there because they weren't going to change. They weren't going to listen. They weren't going to hear what he had to say. The question there I just asked myself is like, and it kind of follows a little bit with the other part, was also like, if familiarity, if familiarity breeds contentment, then if we get so familiar with the gospel but don't keep learning about it, do we then have a limit 
of what Jesus can do in our lives. Because we really don't believe or expect that he will do something else. I think the I think the world we live in, the West, there's a lot of things that pressures our minds and our understanding, so we won't believe that Jesus can do everything. It's not maybe always obvious, and we would say we know within our heads that he can heal and he can restore and he can do all these things, that he can save people. But what do we really believe when we really think about it? So do we sometimes limit what God will do through Jesus in us because we might have become too familiar or unfamiliar with who God really is and it becomes more a picture of what we think God is than what who he really is. So the, yeah, the antidote we talked about is to get to know Jesus better. It's This is a daily thing and it, it's... It's a relationship where we continue and, know, and just know that it never ends. There's always more to know. There's no always more to worship. There's always more awe to be given. There's always more thanksgiving, thanksgiving to give because God does something all the time. The question is probably whether we are too busy or not really see what he's doing and again, this is a, it's so interesting, the placing, because we see these people in this small village somewhere uh, in Nazareth, and they're like, ah, this guy, we don't care about him. <laughs> and then one of the more powerful people, <laughs> one of the more powerful people in the region, uh, Herod, and this is Herod Antipas, so it's the son of the first Herod that we talked about. We have did a, something on the Herods before, so I'll just leave it there. And I figured out what a tetrarch is. So it's like king, one, two, there. So he's not a king because the Romans own the whole province. There's a governor. So he's like number three in one region. And his two brothers have two other regions. But So he's kind of like a king, but not really a king. He's a ruler of an area. Um, like, like I said, he probably grew up in Rome uh, and was uh, placed there afterwards because he had some Jewish roots. He's not the nicest guy in the world, which we will get to know about. He follows a little bit in his father's footsteps as well. But he reacts to this news about about what Jesus is doing in a particular, in a peculiar way. I, I found, and and so he he says that. When the Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about Jesus' fame, or the fame of Jesus, he said to his servants, he said to his, he said to his servants, "This is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. This is why these miracle powers are at work in him." I don't know about you, but it seems like a big, it seems like a stretch that all of a sudden <laughs> John would would raise from the dead and become Jesus and do miracles. Uh, but maybe it says a lot more about his guilty conscience and his uh, fear of the people rebelling because he actually did want to kill John earlier but didn't do it. And then we get into some of the some of the some of the reason why John dies. And so John dies because he, as he said, his he said himself like his his run was over, but. 
he had prepared the way for Jesus. And now it came to an end, came to a violent end in a, not <laughs> like, yeah, let's all, yeah. But I'm, I'm just, like, I, for me it was kind of, because why does he think that this is John? So I can only see it's because of, it's, yeah, because of, like, he fears the crowd and, and, um, is afraid that people were rebel because he killed John. So John is put in prison because he, <laughs> because he doesn't. It's not like it, it. I. It's not really like it's. It's super obvious what he says. He says that you can't take your brother's wife and make you make her your wife. That's all John says and. Uh, of course, I mean, of course, that is true because uh, that's not the right thing to do, and it's against the law and all sorts of things. But it really made Herodias really mad, and so, <laughs> so she doesn't like John, and Herod doesn't really like John either. But he's not exactly willing to kill him in the beginning. But, uh, but Herodias, she is. Uh, she is a, I don't know, a scheming, really angry woman. So she has a plan. At whatever point in time, she's going to have John killed. Um, and so I was just, sometimes, sometimes what we talk about, like familiarity, we can just read this passage and it's not weird at all. This party is probably slightly strange. Because uh, we come to this party where it's uh, it's a it's Herod's birthday. There's some entertainment. There's some dancing. Maybe that's that's maybe fine. But then uh, Herod gives this like, "Oh, whatever you want, I will give it to you." Uh, speech, which if you read the Bible, is probably not a speech you should ever give. But because there's never good examples from that, it's always something horrible that happens after when people say this. Uh, most of the time. So it's good to think about what we say. And then it says, like, prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Have you been to one of those parties where that happens? <laughs> I know, it's a little, slightly more violent and stuff here. But is that a slightly odd? You have somebody comes up and dances, it's nice. And then the king said, the tetrax said, what, yeah, I'll give you what you want. And she listened to her mom, yes, I want you to cut off a head of a man and I want it on a platter I mean I mean I, I know I'm from Denmark and I live far away and in time also but I think maybe I would have been like hmm it was kind of an odd request uh, maybe slightly weird <laughs> what do you do in the time like so they send a, they send the runner <laughs> to the prison cut the head off what are you doing and in between getting some few drinks and and some food or like I don't know. I just, I just struck, it struck me as like sometimes maybe we should think through what's happening and just thinking how, how odd and pretty uncomfortable maybe that will be. And then when they come with it, it's like, are people clapping or like what? <laughs> hey, here's his head. I don't, I don't know. But um, I just think it's sometimes good that we just like put ourselves in there and be like, okay, what is really going on here? Well, it spurred on by a lot of hate towards John. The only thing John did in his whole life was to speak the truth. 
But he didn't, uh, then did end up like a lot of other prophets. He didn't end up dying for telling what was right. He did prepare the way for Jesus, and now his time on earth was over. Yeah, don't make rash decisions. Don't, oh, if this happened, I'll do this and this. No, let your yes be a no, and let you, no. Let your yes be a no. That's like, no, yeah. Let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. Not the other way around, just super confusing. Or like one of my kids, or like one of my kids would say, oh, I will call this a ball. It's like, well, if you do that, nobody else knows what this is. Uh, so it's a lot easier if we call things the same things. So it's, for in this case, John points out sin and calls it sin. Let's not call what is evil good and what is good evil. Also just what hate does. Like she spends her whole life, like as long as John is in the prison, she just waits for a way to kill him. On her husband's birthday. Oh, it's a special gift. Uh, one of kind. Uh, but, uh, yeah. John speaks the truth and it cost him his life. What about us? In verse 12, the disciples of John, they, they, buried, they bury John. They, they take the body from the prison and bury him. And then they go and tell Jesus. And then we have an interesting response from Jesus. He had just been rejected in his hometown. They come and say that his relative is dead. And what does Jesus do? He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Imagining or thinking about what Jesus is feeling at this point in time, in time he just got rejected in his hometown. Probably knew that was going to happen. So he could be sad and mad and frustrated. And now the disciples of John comes and tell that John, that was the one who who prepared his way, now he is dead. It is understandable that Jesus would say, okay, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm going to go away from this. So what does this say about Jesus? It really shows us the humanity of Jesus. It, that yes, he is fully God, but he's also fully man. He feels this. He feels the betrayal. He feels sad. He feels hurt. So what do we feel about Jesus when we see this? Jesus suffered loss and rejection by the people that knew him the best. Isn't this the time where we say, God, what are you doing? His family member get killed. Again, God, what are you doing? What, like, I'm just doing what you call me to do. John is faithful to the end. Have you said that to God? What are you doing? Maybe not out loud, but maybe in your head. God, I'm serving, and all these things seems to be going the wrong way. What do you do when those things happen? Like, God, I'm serving you, but it doesn't seem to be working. 
in our time, we can check the internet, check our phone, and see if there's better news. We can start streaming things online to keep us, keep our minds occupied about something else. We can just plunge in to do more, more, more work. But Jesus gives us an example here. When you're hurt, sad, frustrated, Jesus, he redraws. He's not a robot. He's human. He's not a God who doesn't feel anything. He feels the loss and the rejection. And he goes away. And I must say, this kind of <laughs> kind of slightly <laughs> hit me, like, okay, so Jesus, he goes away. Hey, how can the Savior of the world just go away? How can he not be, like, doing something all the time? Maybe this says a lot about more about me and how important I think I am. Because if Jesus can take a break to see God and talk to God about how things are going, then maybe that is the right perspective instead of just keep going and keep going. To take time to go away, to trust God that things are going to be okay. He's got it. To pray, to lament, to sorrow, to grieve the things that needs to be grieved instead of just keep going. To be asking God the questions honestly. Lord, what are you doing? I am hurting. I am sorrowing. Everything seems to be going wrong. God, what are you doing? Help me. Maybe that would be a lot better for us to do that instead of just keeping going. And we see that Jesus did it. So we have permission to do that. And doing that with God is probably going to give us a way clearer picture of what God's actually doing than in our confusing. Instead of being frustrated also to other people in traffic and online and in your work, maybe it's a way better response to go and talk to God about it where there's not so many distractions. I do think the text gives us a permission to lament and grieve loss and talk to God about our fears and the road ahead. Like I'm just thinking, and this is me thinking, so I'll just this Bible. So the... So, Jesus is experiencing being rejected and the loss of a family member, the family member that proclaimed his, what was going to happen. They can't, I would imagine that also would spur on Jesus, <clears throat> like, I'm going to go the same way. This is the route for me as well. They could stir up some fears and... Uh, fears of what was laying ahead. And I think one of the reasons why Jesus does that is also he's going back to where he is rooted. He's rooted in who God is and who God said he was. We see it at his baptism. You are my son in whom I am well pleased. He needs, he's going to go be alone with his father again to know he's set in that. And that's where he's deeply rooted. 
and not in all sorts of other things. Not in whether people like him. Or not in whether he lost a family member. That goes the same for us, that we need to be rooted as Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit as we live with God. Because it's not promised that our lives will just go like fantastic. The Christian life is not promised to be with no pain and sorrow. Actually, if we do it really well, we probably will be persecuted. It will hold loss, grief, sadness, and tears. What am I saying? Is it not like a guarantee of health and wealth if you're a Christian? No, not necessarily, no. Because we just don't see that in the Jesus' life and in this life of disciples. So God's not going to fulfill all my dreams for me and my children? No, not necessarily. It all depends on what your dreams and hopes are built on. Are they built on your own aspirations or on, the, on what God has made you for? God's way more concerned about the things he's made you for than what you think that you should accomplish. We see that with both John and Jesus. Now Jesus, John is done now. Jesus is still going. But John's life was lived to the full. God is more concerned with things that, that you will be walking in the good works that he prepared for you than fulfilling your dreams and aspirations. Why? Because you are made for the things that God had for you. Not necessarily for the things you think you have for yourself. And and then we know from the parable of the weeds and the net that in this life there will be plenty of trouble. There will be evil right around us, interacting with us all the time. We'll get hurt. We even hurt each other sometimes. We have the ability and help to forgive one another. So there's no promise that this life is going to be easy. But the hope and joy we have is to see who Jesus is and how he goes through the life. We have this blessed hope that Jesus is going to return and make all things new. And we see in his life and his death and his resurrection and in the two parables that evil will be dealt with. There will be a separation of the good and the evil, of the righteous and the unrighteous. This is not the experience we have right now, but there will be. And that's where the good news is, that even though this world seems to be so crazy sometimes, and even the world we're reading about in the Bible also seems to be quite evil and, and violent, even then, his disciples and the people around him set their hope and trust in who Jesus was. And we know the whole story so we can put our hope and life, hope and trust in Jesus. His life and his death, his resurrection for our righteousness 
and by the Holy Spirit's power we can live by salt like lights and salt in this world but we can only know that if if we don't grow too familiar with everything it's like yeah yeah I know who God is and, but I really need to get this stuff done at my work instead or, or yeah yeah I know the I know this I know about Jesus you know. he walks on water he makes bread and yeah, but that's not really going to keep us through the times where we're, where it's going to get tough and hard and sorrowing. And do we even know it's okay to sorrow? Do we know that Jesus has experienced sorrow, that he will be with us in the sorrow? Or is it a time that would lead us away from God if something happens that that's not good? So as we were just wrapping this up, you know, there's two options about Jesus. Well, I guess three. You don't care and you reject. Or you embrace and you continue that relationship. You don't say, oh, you offend me, Jesus, because I know you too well. No, I know you, but I need to know you more so I can live the life that you have for me and walk in those things that you set out for me that day by day I'll get to know you better and better and better and put my hope and faith in you because then we can live as we've talked about before as what we've called to be ambassadors for Christ asking other people to come and join and be followers of Jesus be reconciled to God we can't do that if we're so familiar it's like oh, yeah yeah like Jesus he's okay but if we're not overflowing with that, we're not going to invite other people to do that. So we need to have, you need to, and that's also why you are a part of a fellowship. That's why we have testimony chapters, why we have Bible studies, to encourage one another, to fan into flame your love for God. And seeing Him in beautiful, awesome, amazing, worthy of worship and praise. that's what we're called to so don't reject Jesus <laughs> run to him instead the same thing if you're here you knew you don't know anything about Jesus you don't know anything about God but Matthew here is telling us that Jesus is the Christ he's the one that's going to reconcile us to God we can have our sins forgiven we can live with him forever that's the that's the great offer that's there I can't give it to you Jesus gives it I would ask that you come and explore who Jesus is and you will have that inexplicable joy that we read about people have it also in hard times and now I say to all the, all the rest of us watch out that we don't get hard and callous hearts that we continue to poke one another and say hey how is things going with God how are things going are you, get, are you learning new songs about Jesus? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you serving others? How are you keeping this fanned into flame, your life for Jesus? And then we can live a life of joy and grace in the Lord. Let's pray together. And Father, we thank you and praise you that 
that you're unlike any other God. Um, Jesus, we thank you that we can learn that you know what it means to suffer loss and be rejected and and still you, sh- you chose to come. You humble yourself for many years and you didn't use any of your God abilities but live the humble life. Humble enough to be rejected by the people that knew you the best. But you came anyway. You suffered the loss. You knew, like Hebrew says, you knew you know what it's like to be tempted in any way. You felt rejected. You felt lost. Thank you for modeling for us rest and going away to spend time with your father when we're confused, saddened. And Lord, I really ask for all of us today and for myself as well, help us to not grow too familiar with your word and who you are. Lord, I ask that right now in all of us you would you spark in us a a longing to get to know you better. And Holy Spirit, you ignite that that fire that we will get to know you better day by day. And Lord, we pray against evil and the the world to just inflict these things so we will lose sight of this. So Lord, we thank you so much that we come today, we could pray for Stephen, we could bear testimony, we could sing praises to you, we could give, we could serve, and Lord, we thank you that none of this would be possible without your power and strength and without you transforming our lives. So thank you, praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. So you may stand up for the benediction. Um, Before the benediction, um, I would ask you not to run away, but instead uh, just uh, walk into the next room, and then we'll have dinner together. So uh, especially if you are here for the first time, please let us know so we can say hello to you. All right. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.